Good morning, friends and family here at Summit Church Online, Summit Church in person. I, I invite you to come on down. It's not too late to come to Summit Church of Douglas County, 4240 North Perry Park Road in Sedalia, Colorado, 10.30 a.m. here Mountain Time. And uh, we're going to start worshiping in about five minutes. Hey, would you share this link with a friend and let them know that church is about to get started on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, and Instagram. We're so glad to connect with you online. It's going to be a great day of worship today. If you want to partner with the ministry, you can do it online. Go to mysummitchurch.com. Click the donate button. You can give by text at 303-625-9434. You can, you can do it the old-fashioned way and mail a gift to Summit Church of Castle Rock, uh, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, so uh, 80104. So glad you're joining with us here online on our various streams. This is going to start our five-minute countdown. So grab a Bible, grab a pen, grab a notebook, grab a friend, and let's get into God's Word as we worship today, as we study ba the balancing act of the book of Acts. It's going to be a great time. So this is your five-minute countdown, five-minute warning for worship.
Let's open with prayer. Father, we love you. We've come to praise you. We've come to magnify your name and we thank you for your goodness. And this Memorial Day weekend, God, we thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. We thank you for those who died in uniform for our country. God, we pray a blessing over first responders, over policemen and firemen and, and healthcare workers and everyone who's fighting to keep our country free. Lord, I pray that you bless us, bless them, bless families who've lost loved ones on this weekend. And Lord, we, we just promise to make the most of our freedom in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
would be so kind to just share. Maybe you can come up and do it if you do it where you are. Just share what God did. Uh, you got healed last week as we were praying for healing. And do it real loud so everyone can hear. Okay, I'd rather do it from here. Sure. <laughs>
And um, it's not about the oil, it's about the God of spirit who heals. Amen. Amen. So I've seen that, that miracles happen when you move over to Miracles happen when you come in this world. Miracles happen.
healing business. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, Tim, will you come and give us the one-year Bible? That's awesome. You can sit for a second. Good morning, Summit Church. Good to see you all here. Uh, I'd just like to say on that last note that uh, I believe that everyone, everyone needs a healing of some sort, whether it be mental, physical, your actions, your thought, any of that. You know, a lot of times we don't think we're, we're worthy. Oh, it's just a little thing. Yeah, well, the devil takes those little things and makes them bigger and bigger and bigger until Jesus heals you. So we are all worthy to be healed by the healer, the great physician, without a doubt. Well, I'm going to read the highlighted verse for today. And it comes from John 18, verse 36. And it says, Jesus, and uh, this is when he was being questioned by Pilate uh, before they said crucify him. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. And with that in mind, neither are we. Uh, this isn't our home. We're just passing through. So uh, if you're part of Jesus's kingdom, we're looking at a long life. Amen. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Well, this is an old one. It's probably the first Hosanna Integrity worship song ever that ever made the top Christian book charts. It's called Lord, I Offer My Life to You. And I'm sure many of you have heard it before.
the amount of your gift to 303-625-9434 or you can mail your gift to Summit Church, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. We're going to be studying 
the Gospels, uh, actually the, the book of Acts today, in Acts chapter 21 through 25. So grab a Bible, refill your coffee, share this link with a friend, let them know that church has begun. We're about to start the Bible study today, and we're glad you are along for the ride. So greet someone and share the word with someone. Let's build an online community, and, and let's just see the kingdom of God move forward as we do ministry both in person and online today. God bless you guys. We'll get started in just a minute. from playing regular. Yes, for sure. That's why I'm like super glue. If it start, if they start to fall off, super glue on your fingertips. It always works. Awesome. everybody glad you're with us today I'm grabbing a sip of my coffee hope you have a beverage of your choice online audience we're glad you're joining us places everyone places the sooner you sit down the quicker I preach <laughs> it's good to see you so this month, all month in May, we've been going through the book of Acts. Hello, order in the court. Order, order in the court, everyone. Order. All right. See, that's what happens. When I get you talking, you'll go forever, won't you? Well, this is a great opportunity for me to announce. Next week is the church picnic. You'll be able to fellowship as long as you want. In fact, we'll do a little bit of that, that planning right now. Maria and I are planning. Maria is making chicken. I'm making the hot dogs and burgers, and we'll be providing the beverages. But those of you who want to bring a side dish or a dessert, uh, just shout out what you're bringing, all right, so we don't double up. What might you bring? Uh, I'm bringing whatever you want. I'll bring, I guess, uh, what? What's chips? your s chips, chips and dip? Chips and dip, potato salad. Potato salad. Anybody? What's that? Chocolate cake. Yes. Yes. Kim, do you have a, how about your green, your almond green beans, your grilled green beans? Those are good. Let's do that. All right. Anybody else bringing something for the church picnic? We'll write it down. Make sure we're not doubling up on anything. Okay. Quinoa salad. Dessert. Perfect. And then I'll do a sign up genius on the church website too, so that people can sign up online if they're coming and they want to bring something that we'll, we'll know what we've got. Pasta, like a pasta salad, that'd be great. Awesome. Isn't it great to have a church home, a church family? Yeah. So we were out here yesterday uh, chainsawing and weed whacking and mowing with Tim and, and it was a great time and pulling cactuses. Um, we just did all the crazy stuff out here. I think Corey was out here earlier this week, um, also helping out on the property. And so it's so good. It doesn't look good when you roll up in here like, man, it's looking better and better every week. Yes, it is. Uh, your pastor removed two of the stumps over there. Okay, so we're going to take them all the way to the ground in the next couple of weeks. And uh, so we're getting better and better, everybody. We're hopefully improving this, this ministry as we go week after week. Turn in your Bible with me to Acts chapter 21. Um, in the book of Acts, I've been doing a series called Stories That Matter. 
Stories that matter. This is Stories that Matter Part 4. Now, can anybody tell me what this is? Level straight edge. Yep, yep. Can anybody tell me what these little little vials of water with a bubble in there do? What do those do? That's right. And why why would they at different angles? Why do we have them at different angles? For straight and right for horizontal vertical, right? Keeps a perfect balance, right? You know when something is balanced when you can hold it in the middle and it doesn't go either down to the right or to the left, it's perfectly balanced when it's on the fulcrum, when it's balanced in the perfect center, when it's in the middle, right? And we think about the balanced spiritual life. Jesus showed us how to live. He showed us what the kingdom of God is all about and that we, we shouldn't get too far off to the right or to the left. We need to stay on course to live a balanced spiritual life, grace and truth, right? The 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 law and grace, like we walk on this line as believers, well, we don't get into either extreme, but we walk in this balanced approach. We see the Apostle Paul on trial in this reading that we're looking at today in Caesarea. Now, Kim and I have had the privilege to go to Caesarea twice now in Israel. It has a beautiful Roman amphitheater there. Um, and then they also have a hippodrome, which is an old horse racing track that the Romans would bet on horse, horse races. You know, betting on horse races goes way, 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 way back. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing little archaeological excavation they have. They have the house of Agrippa there, where Paul actually stood trial right there on the, on the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They got the tile work of these Greek and Roman tile works of these elaborate floors that were the palace of Felix and Agrippa and these Roman rulers that were assigned in this Roman city on the coast. Now, Paul was living in a time when the Jewish people, Israel, was being occupied by the Roman government. They were under Roman rule. They were, really had to do whatever the Romans said. Now, the Romans gave them a certain amount of freedom to govern their cities, and when it came to the details of their religion, like, well, we don't know anything about Judaism, so you guys handle anything that has to do with your Jewish and religious traditions. We'll handle the law and order piece. We'll, we'll handle the marketing piece, well, the, the market, marketplace piece, the financial part, and Caesar will take his due, Caesar will take his taxes, and you basically were under Roman occupation. But they had a certain amount of self-determination, certain amount of self-rule. Well, of course, Paul is a Jew, and he has a controversy about Judaism and Christianity. And the Romans don't know what to do with him. They're like, we talked about this a little bit last week. They wanted to send him to Jerusalem. Hey, this is a matter of your religion. We don't know anything about that. You just, you try him yourself. They're like, well, we can't put him to death. We want to put him to death. Like, well... Only the Romans can do that. And so <laughs> eventually there's enough controversy where there's a conspiracy to kill Paul. And a bunch of the Pharisees want to have him killed when he's on his way to Jerusalem for trial. They let them know, that the, the Roman authorities, that there's this conspiracy to kill Paul. They said, we're not sending you to Jerusalem. You're going to stand trial right here in Caesarea. You're going to be right here in, in our court, and you're going you're to stand trial, and we're going to figure out the charges according to what the emperor would decide. And if you really are a conspirator 
against the Roman government, then that's another issue altogether. So that's where we pick it up. Paul makes, is going to make this journey to Jerusalem. Of course, in this journey to Jerusalem, he's often taking these Gentile offerings for the poor for the church in Jerusalem because many of the Jewish people that had become Christians had been cut off from polite society in Israel. Because once you followed this Jesus of Nazareth, you, you really, they didn't really want you anymore. They didn't want to do business with you. They didn't want to have anything to do with you in the temple. If they found out you were a Christian, you were sort of an outcast, a pariah. So many of the Jewish Christians were very poor because no one would do business with them. So they had their own commune of, 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 of Christians. They would share resources. They would do business together. They would, they would try to pool their resources, but they were very poor. So Paul would collect offerings from the Gentile churches throughout the Mediterranean and bring those gifts to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering because of great persecution. So he's on this journey back to Jerusalem. So, and this is, we picked it up, picking up in Ephesus where I left you off last week, uh, chapter 21 of the book of Acts. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patara. And then we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia, which is a, a Greek area. We sighted the land of Cyprus land, and passed on our left and landed at the harbor of Tyre, which is modern day Lebanon today, uh, in, in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore and we found the local believers and we stayed with them a week. And these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem when we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including the women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. And there we knelt and prayed and said our farewells. And then we went aboard and they returned home. Home. The next stop before leaving Tyre was Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and the sisters and stayed there for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist. This is the same Philip who is translated into Gaza to preach the gospel to that one Ethiopian government official who became a Christian and then was translated back again. And this same Philip, he was one of those seven men who had been chosen to distribute the food. He was, he was a comrade with Stephen, the first martyr of the church who we looked at. There were seven deacons that were appointed to do the food distribution for the church. And Philip was amongst those seven with Stephen. They had, uh, he had, Philip, had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Can you imagine? Your four daughters are all have the gift of prophecy. They, they can do the work of the Lord. They can uh, predict the future. They can foretell and foretell the will of God. So I'm sure that was a powerful thing to have in the early church. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who, was also, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. And he came over and he took Paul's belt and he bound his own, hand, his own feet and hands with it. And he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? Why are you breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So Paul was willing to lay down his life for the church, for the gospel, 
for the truth. He was willing to lay down his own life for the Jewish people, that they would hear and understand that this Jesus was not just one rabbi amongst rabbis, but he was the very son of God, the Messiah of God predicted by the prophet Isaiah. And so he arrives in Jerusalem and things are going fairly well. Of course, he has a few Greek Christians with him. Uh, there are four young men that were traveling with Paul. And he was probably trying to show the Jewish Christians that, hey, these Gentiles, they're great guys. <laughs> they're wonderful. They, in fact, many of them do want to convert uh, to Judaism. Like they want to follow the Old Testament law. Some will, some won't. But that we've already settled that with the council last time, last time we talked about James making the, just the simple requirements for a Gentile. You don't have to convert to Judaism to be a Christian. You can just accept Christ. And if you'll do a, a few simple things, you'll, you'll live with a godly testimony. So picking up here in verse 23 of Acts 21, um, when he, they go to the, the temple to make vows, to take a Nazarite vow, actually. A Nazarite vow is a, a, vow, a vow of separation where you would shave your head for a determined period of time. You'd let your hair grow out and you wouldn't uh, be near any dead bodies. You wouldn't uh, eat, drink any wine or have any grapes. That you would stay pure from uh, a few things. It's, it's almost like kosher on steroids. Like you made some decisions that you are really going to separate yourself unto God for a period of time. So these four men that Paul brings with him, they go to the temple to shave their heads, to take Nazarite vows. And of course, this showed real devotion to the Jewish Christians as well, that these boys really mean it. They really mean it. They're taking Nazarite vows, just, like, just as Paul did, just as we do at crucial times in our lives. We, we set aside times of prayer and fasting where we go without sometimes to focus in on God and really hear from God. Let the spirit man really take charge so that we can really hear from the Lord and know that we're doing what he wants us to do. So James uh, begins to speak to this whole idea again. He says, here's what we want you to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads uh, ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are, are all false and that you yourselves observe Jewish laws. And then verse 25, as for the Gentile believers, they should do what we have already told them in a letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols. They should abstain from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. Powerful stuff. So they go to the temple to do this. And immediately the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they arrest Paul and the men that are with him. Because um, like you're the, you're the troublemakers. We know about you. You're the Christ followers. So immediately the Jews start telling lies about Paul and the followers, saying that they were stirring up the temple, saying many lies that they said about Christ, and they arrest him immediately. And so uh, the whole city is rocked by these accusations, and a great riot follows, and Paul's grabbed and he's dragged out of the temple. Immediately the gates are closed behind him, and, and so he's, he comes to this point where he has a chance to speak to the crowd. And the Roman guards aren't sure what to make of all this. <laughs> they're, like, they're like the police-keeping force, the peacekeeping force at the temple, but they don't know anything about Judaism or the religion. They're like, Some, something weird's happening there. The controversy, most Roman soldiers probably didn't speak Hebrew. So they're like, what's happening? Well, I think this is that rebel from Egypt that was doing the uprising, remember? And so here's what happens in verse 37. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I, may I have a word with you? 
And the commander says, do you know Greek? <laughs> the commander asked, surprised. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? No, Paul replied. I am a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned for the people to be quiet. And soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd and he addressed them in their own language, in Aramaic. So it helped that Paul knew Hebrew, he knew Aramaic, he knew Latin, he knew many languages, and he was able to navigate the Gentile world and the Jewish world. He was able to play in many different circles, and God was using him in a very balanced way to be with Jews and Gentiles, to be able to speak the language of the world and also to speak the language of the kingdom. He was able to walk that fine Line. In fact, we could say if we're, we're, we're taking notes here today in each of these points, number one, he was walking between safety and obedience. Remember, sometimes when, when you obey God, it's not always the safest thing to do. <laughs> sometimes it takes a risk to obey God, to, to do what he tells you to do, because other people misunderstand you. They're not going to get you. They're not going to understand what it is that you're doing. To play it safe means I do nothing. I'll just sit back. I'll let other people take the risk. I'll let other people do it. No, Paul realized that he had, to, he had to walk that line between safety and obedience. He was walking the line between two cultures, between the Gentile culture and the Jewish culture. And we have to do the same. Paul says that I've become all things to all men so that by any possible means I might reach some. So that's why like our biker Sunday, it was important that we know how to like mix it up with people who wouldn't necessarily walk into a church who don't understand Christianese, right? They don't understand church language. You know what I mean? We don't, they don't speak the religious jargon that we Christians use. But just to be ordinary, common American folk, right? And to speak in common terms with people. And then we also know the word, we know the scripture, we can speak with, with an intellectual honesty what we believe about God, and we can speak in religious terms, but we don't do that with people who don't understand. We walk that fine line between the kingdom and the world. And not that we want to become members of the world, but Jesus said to be in the world, but not of the world. Doing the work in the world, but I'm of another kingdom. I'm a citizen of a higher place. That's powerful. So he speaks to the crowd. He says, brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul says, listen to me as I offer my defense. And when they heard him speaking in their own language, a silence was even greater and Paul said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarshish, the city of Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As a student, I was carefully trained in the Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like many of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. Paul's saying, look, I used to be one of you guys. I used to persecute the church. I used to kill Christians. God did something in my life. He changed my life. I'm not the same guy I used to be. They once called me Saul of Tarshish. Now my name is Paul. A follower of the way. <laughs> I had an encounter with God. I had a meeting with Jesus. 
So we see here in this passage, Paul is walking this line, this balanced line between self-sacrifice and using political or influential leverage. (laughs) He realizes, hey, I, I could just die here, right? Or I could use this moment to preach the gospel, to tell people about the Lord. And even though it might make some people even more angry, other people may hear it and receive it with gladness and become believers themselves. So he was quick not to lose an opportunity to share the gospel. He wasn't just going to recklessly lay his life down, but he was going to walk that fine line of grace and truth. And so then the commander, (laughs) he's watching all this happen. Some of you may or may not have spoken Aramaic. And Paul continues here in verse 21, but the Lord said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And the crowd listened until Paul said that word. And they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live, they yelled. They threw, out, threw off their coats and they tossed handfuls of dust into the air. This was a, a Jewish symbol of being outraged. They were ready to stone him on the spot. But he's a Roman citizen. Not only is he Jewish, he's Roman. So he's in this unusual juxtaposition of being a Jew and being a Roman. He, he's playing in both worlds. So the commander, verse 24, the commander brought Paul inside and he ordered him lashed and whipped to make, make him confess his crimes. And he wanted to find out uh, why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? And when the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes, I certainly am. Paul replied, I am too. And the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. So you could buy your Roman citizenship. You could buy the privileges of being a citizen of Rome, even when you weren't in the kingdom. And that meant almost like diplomatic immunity. You guys understand diplomatic immunity? Like if we have ambassadors in New York um, and they double park, they can't get a parking ticket. If they speed and a cop pulls them over, they cannot get a speeding ticket. Did you know that? You can actually murder someone as an ambassador in our country and get away with murder because you have diplomatic immunity. Some people don't know that, but that's, that's how our law works. That's, the, that's how this was working with Roman citizenship. Once you purchase citizenship, you basically had immunity from punishment. You had to be tried in a Roman court because you were a Roman citizen. You had privileged status. And so the commander says, yeah, my, my Roman citizenship cost me plenty. I had to buy it. Well, Paul answered, I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard that he was a Roman citizen. And the commander was frightened because he had ordered him to be bound and whipped. And so the next day, the commander ordered that the leading priests into session and the Jewish high council, he wanted to find out what the trouble was all about. So he released Paul to have him stand before the Jewish council. So here he is, jailed by the Romans, being tried by the Jews, and he's, he's walking this balanced line of being a follower of Jesus, but using his Roman influence to take the gospel to ears that have never heard it before. All right, it's a pretty amazing story. You know, a, a good thing to ask yourself is what has God placed, where has God uniquely placed me to leverage my influence, my love for God, my experience 
to take the gospel to people who haven't heard it before or to make Jesus known to people who have no idea what the kingdom is all about. So Paul is a great example of that. So uh, gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I've always lived before God with a clear conscience. And instantly Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? And those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare insult the God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest. Paul replied, for the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Paul realized that some of the members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors. And I am on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. He's going, I know how to divide these guys. Divide and conquer, right? This divided the council and the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all these things. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcibly. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more and more violent, the commander was afraid that they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by, by force and to take him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and he said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you, haven't been, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Of course, wouldn't that be comforting to hear so this plot to kill Paul happens the Jews are going to do it Paul's nephew comes up his his sister's son comes to the commander of the Romans and he says you know there's a plot to kill my uncle really yeah yeah the Jews are they're laying in wait on the road and they're ready to kill him they're like no no we're not going to do that then We'll, we'll send, we'll send a, a bodyguard of many soldiers with Paul, and that's not going to happen. So they send Paul to Caesarea, where he has to stand trial um, in front of Romans. And that brings us to, uh, actually, point number three in this chapter, Paul divides and conquers. Um, and so his jurisdiction is moved from the Jews to the Romans. This was God's doing. God says, yes, you, you witnessed to the Jews. Now, just as I sent you in your ministry to minister to the Gentiles, now you're going to stand trial before the Romans. Now you're going to take this gospel to Gentile officials. I'm giving you a promotion, Paul. You're not just going to be preaching to the little marketplace people. Now you're going to go into the halls of power. This would be like Paul preaching to our Congress or to our Senate or going to the Supreme Court and, and get, preaching the gospel where millions of people would hear about what he's saying. A genuine promotion in what, in what his ministry is all about. Chapter 24, we see Paul balancing between rash and foolish answers and giving measured and wise replies. Again, <laughs> don't say the first thing that comes to your head. Right? <laughs> say what the Holy Spirit tells you to say. And if the Lord doesn't say to say anything, keep your peace. Don't say anything at all. God may be positioning you to be the right person at the right time saying the exactly right thing that the people need to hear. And that's what we see happening here when Paul appears before this Roman ruler named Felix in Caesarea. 
Um, so they make charges against Paul before the Romans says, we have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews and all, and all over the world. And he's a ringleader of this cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to, dis, to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. These are the Jews making their accusations in front of the Romans. You can find out the truth of our accusation by examining him yourself. And then the other Jews chimed in declaring that everything Tertullius said was true. The governor then motioned for Paul to speak. And Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of the Jewish affairs for many years, so I gladly present my defense before you. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago, ago to worship at the temple. My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. These men cannot prove the things that they accuse me of doing. But I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, but I firmly believe that the Jewish law and everything written by the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, and we will raise that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and before all people. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple when I was completing purification ceremony, but no crowd was around and no rioting, and some Jews from the province of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Ask these men here what the crime the Jewish council found me guilty of, except for the one time when I shouted, I am I on trial because um, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. At this point, Felix, who is the Roman judge in this instance, he's a ruler in Caesarea, was quite familiar with the way. He knew about Christians, and he adjourned, the hearing, and he said, wait until Lysias, the, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case. And he ordered the officer to keep Paul in custody, to, to give him some freedom, and to allow his friends to visit him and to take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. This would be like preaching to uh, Governor Polis. Right? It'd be like preaching to someone who, who's very important in culture and hear, them hearing the gospel and hearing it with clarity. And as he uh, reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I will call for you again. And he hoped that Paul would bribe him. So he sent him away for quite, sent, sent for him quite often and talked with him. After two years went by this way, Felix, Felix was succeeded by uh, Porcius Festus, and because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. Two years of preaching to the rulers. Two years of an extension of God's grace to continue his ministry to the Gentiles. How many know he wasn't silent in prison? He was telling people everywhere about Jesus, anyone that was coming and going, any guard that he had, any, anyone of any importance that came into these trials and these courts and in the, in the palace of Felix and later this palace of Festus. They're all hearing about this religion called the way, the cult of the Nazarenes, Christianity. Jesus, Jesus is being preached with power. And God positioned Paul 
in a controversial way so that the gospel would go to ears that would never normally hear it. Reminds me of something my, my friend, Pastor Dave Love here at Calvary Chapel, Castle Rock says. He says, you know, God doesn't mind controversy. God doesn't mind controversy as long as you're on the right side of the controversy. Right? Paul was very controversial, but he was on the right side of it. It's okay to be controversial. Just make sure you're on God's side. Make sure you're saying what he would say. Make sure you're doing what he would do. And this brings me to chapter 25. So then Paul appears before Festus. And this brings me to point number four. Paul turned to the secular authorities when religious institutions failed him. See, Paul turned to secular authorities when the religious institutions of the day failed him. He knew where the favor was going. He knew where the spirit was leading him. And he goes, I know by prophecy what the Lord has revealed to me. And even through Agabus and through Philip's daughters, through these other people of the church, like, you're going to go to Rome. You're going to go before Caesar himself and preach this gospel. You're going to take this to the most powerful people in the world to share the gospel. And that's exactly what happens in Paul's life. And so here in verse 6 of chapter 25, um, about eight or ten days later, Festus returned to Caesarea, and on the following day he took his seat in the court and ordered that Paul be brought in. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations that they couldn't prove. So Paul denied the charges. He says, I am not guilty of any crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Then Festus, wanting to to please the Jews, asked him, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand before, before me there? And Paul replied, no, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well that I am not guilty of harming the Jews. And if I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, no one has the right to turn me over to them who would kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and replied, very well, you have appealed to Caesar and to Caesar you will go. So Paul doesn't stand trial amongst the Jews anymore. In fact, he has very little interaction with Jewish people anymore other than Jewish believers. And then there's another change of power in Caesarea and this Herod Agrippa comes into power after Festus. So Paul gets a chance to speak to Agrippa, and I'll land it here. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice arrived in the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in, and then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are here, this is the man whose death is demanded by all the Jews, both here and in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he's done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I have decided to send him to Rome. But what shall I write to the emperor? For there is no clear charge against him. So I have brought him here before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it makes no sense to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. What we'll look at next week is Paul's trip to Rome. See what happens when you're faithful in little things. Jesus said, faithful in small things, trusted in big things. If you're faithful with little, you'll be trusted with much. Paul was faithful at this level. And he said, oh, now you get to go to this level. And pretty soon you're going to go to the highest level possible. You're going to stand before the emperor himself.
And without Paul's testimony to the emperor, I don't think we would have Christian, Christianity today in the form that we see it. Gentiles all over the world have received Christ. The church has gone to nearly every culture in the world. It was Paul's faithfulness in little things where he got a promotion and then another promotion and another promotion. The same thing is true for you in your spiritual life. Faithful in little, trusted with much. Well, maybe you hear a historical message like this today and you're like, boy, I, I don't even know how to have a relationship with God like that. You know, knowing God and listening to his voice and walking that fine line of grace and truth. And it's, this is dangerous. You're talking about like, if I really live this Christian life, some people are not going to like me. Yeah, they might not. But guess what? You'll have God's approval. You'll have God's favor. Who knows? If you need a healing, you might get a healing. Right? If you need a breakthrough, you'll probably get it. Because you're one of his kids. You're loved by God. He's going to open doors for you that no other person could open. He's going to set you on stages that you couldn't have promoted yourself into. See, God created all of us to be with him, to have a relationship with him. Our sin, they, it sep they separate us from God. God is holy. And he, he is so holy, he protects his own holiness. And sins can't be paid for by doing good deeds, not by being religious. It's not by keeping certain laws or letting the good outweigh the bad. That's not how we get right with God. Sins have been paid for by Christ. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again. So everyone who put their trust in Christ can have eternal life. And that eternal life begins the moment you say yes to Jesus. And it lasts for all eternity afterwards. If you've never prayed the prayer to receive Christ, or if you're watching or listening online today and you need to pray this prayer of receiving Christ, would you pray it with us as we pray it here in the room? Would you pray it out loud for those who might be praying for the first time? Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. According to the scriptures. Please come into my heart. Be my Savior, and be my Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Walking the fine line, the balance of grace and truth. Letting God position you in the perfect place where you didn't get too far to the right or to the left. You're right down the middle of God's plan, God's will for your life. Are you going to mess up sometimes? Yes. Are you going to get off kilter sometimes? Yes. But the Holy Spirit is there to correct you and bring you back to plumb. You go, oh, boom, there we are, right? How many of you ever got off and gotten off balance as a Christian? Ooh, welcome to spiritual life, right? Sometimes we get way off balance and we need God to reset us, right? And so that's the important thing. That's why we need the Bible. If you've never read the entire Bible, I encourage you to get a copy of the scriptures. Just read it 15 minutes a day and you'll become uh, a more well-rounded follower of Christ. You'll know what the gospel's all about. The Holy Spirit can begin to speak to you and help you become the person that he wants you to be. Amen. Amen. So anyway, uh, make sure and invite a friend to the church picnic like next week. I think it's going to be a, a great time. Memorial Day weekend. So glad you guys made it out on a, on a holiday weekend. You must like this place or something. You decided to show up to worship with us and study the Bible. Well, we like you too. We like you too, everybody. And um, why don't you stand? I'll give you the blessing and we'll get out of here. Thank you, God, for your word.
Help us, Lord, like Paul, to be positioned exactly where you want us. Sometimes where you want us is an uncomfortable place to be. But Lord, we know that if you put us where you put us, then there must be a purpose for it. So Lord, show us this week who needs a word of encouragement, who needs the gospel, who we can minister to and help. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. Lift your countenance and give you his peace. In Christ's name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. We're so glad that you're a part of our church family. We'll see you next week for the church picnic. And um, what's that? Um, bring blankets. And if you have lawn chairs, bring those. We're talking about we may do acoustic worship out on the lawn, but it's all weather dependent. You know how it is in Colorado. We have no idea what it's going to be like 48 hours beforehand. So watch the uh, Facebook page for weather updates and all that kind of thing. And see Maria if you want to help organize some of the food stuff. So God bless you guys. Have a great week. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.